hello. Welcome to episode 32 of That's So Second Millennium. I'm Paul Geesting, and I'm joined by my friend and journalist extraordinaire, Bill Schmidt. Hello. Hello, Paul. <laughs> so we're here to talk a little bit. Uh, this is a bit of a bridge episode. We are recording on All Saints Day, so we're going to, uh, we titled this episode Science and Saints. And, uh, this is, of course, the first day of November, so October is just over with. And as was reminded, as I was reminded of, uh, listening to my, uh, my backlog of podcasts, last month is when, uh, October is when the, uh, Nobel Prizes are announced. I think it's October. Maybe it's late September. Actually, I, uh, you know, dear listener, uh, don't hold me to that. But, uh, sometime this fall, <laughs> right. the Nobel Prize list was announced. And I was listening to a podcast discussing that, probably the Nature podcast. Oh. And so, you know, so you run down the list of that, and there's some interesting names. So the third woman ever has won a Nobel Prize in physics. Her name is Donna Strickland. She works at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And she is one of the people who helped invent the type of high-intensity laser that's used, among other things, for LASIK eye surgery, as well as a, a host of other interesting... It's just really interesting to bombard atoms with an obscene number of photons, basically, is what it comes down to. That's something, yeah. <laughs> you can, you, as, as, as she described it in her interview for the podcast, uh, basically, all of the electrons fly away from the atom. Um, that may be slight overstatement depending on the atom, but I suppose for a light atom like carbon or oxygen, which is certainly the kind you're, you mostly have in your eye, uh, that's certainly feasible. That's so you late. And of course, the beautiful thing about that is, um, it only happens at the focal point where these, I think, multiple laser beams come together. So you can actually focus it below the surface of a transparent object like your cornea. Right. You don't have to apply a blade to your cornea. You can, uh, you can use this technique to do it much less invasively. I don't know where the steam you must generate goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Oh, uh, that's, that's, I want to know. Yeah. As, as I'm describing this and thinking it through with my, with my, uh, critical apparatus, uh, starting to engage and starting to question, how does that work? Where does that, all that go? Um, but nevertheless, it's, uh, somehow there, there is a solution because it's a known technique. So. Yeah. Um, and it's a good something. example of something from the recent past that has very important pra uh, practical impacts in the present and in the future. Um, yeah. talking with Brother Consul Manio about, uh, you know, how it's so easy to forget the past, but the, the past, uh, both, uh, distant and recent is still pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that was one of the things they brought up in the interview was, you know, that, you know, as the only living female Nobel physics laureate, um, because she, you know, she's the third and the first was someone you might, might conceivably have heard of named Marie Curie. Mm -hmm. And the, the second one is actually about midway between, I believe the, um, award, her award was back in the sixties. So I don't believe she's with us any longer. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, uh, you know, so that, that's, she now has a platform and she was, <laughs> she's a delightfully, um, she, she was a, a great interviewee. She was, she was very, uh, off the cuff and, uh, colloquial, uh, in a good way and was talking about, you know, I have this, I have this responsibility now. I can't simply say just whatever comes to mind. I'm going, I'm going to have to actually think about that and discussing, you know, talk, she, 
I've had a conversation with the Prime Minister of Canada now. <laughs> I never had one of those before. Uh, <laughs> things like that. So good, impressive. Would you like to mention the podcast on which you uh, you heard about this? Our readers, my our viewers. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's called the Nature Podcast, and it's it's a uh, it's a grab bag of interesting headlines uh, from science. Because of course, nature. You know, depending on who you ask, I'm, I'm actually just reading a book. Um, by a researcher into trauma and PTSD and things like that. And of course, in his opinion, the journal Science, which is an American journal and leans more toward uh, medicine and biology and that sort of thing, that's the most prestigious journal in the world. Huh. Which, of course, you know, I, I sort of scratch my chin. I'm like, well, in my corner of the asylum, nature is the most, which is, uh, huh. comes out of Britain. And, well, I mean, really, I think it's just more evenly distributed and brings in more physics and astronomy and geology and so forth. Um, that's, that's what we tend to gravitate toward is that's the, you want, you want nature papers. You know, if you want your CV to look impressive, you want, you want papers in nature. That, that yeah. looks good for the tenure committee. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. I mean, and cer- certainly science will publish science. That's the name, right? Right. Um, that that they will publish earth science and planetary science papers sometimes um and of course nature p- publishes plenty of uh of medicine and biology type stuff but that makes sense yeah there is somewhat of a of a, i mean there's there's a clear difference in focus so um but, but yeah nature has that and so and of course since it's a journal published in england uh well i mean it is england it is out of london i'm sure um their their staff is all british so that you get to hear that delightful accent or actually that collection of accents because they'll get, they'll get, <laughs> they'll get Scotsman on. Oh, it's fantastic. Listen oh, yeah. That would be fun yeah. to listen to. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, in any case, so that's, that's, that's a good, uh, I mean, that's, that's a pretty widely, uh, widely listened to podcast. It's, it's one of the, when I was looking around for science podcasts to subscribe to, that was, that was toward the top of the list and it's definitely a good, um, the Guardian will do uh, sci- a science podcast as well, and they'll 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 make it more like often it's a single interview, so they'll take a topic and go into more depth. But both of them are about half an hour long. So okay. anyway, um, so yeah, so that so that was that was sort of the biggest, um, you know, the the Nobel Prize in physiology went to two cancer researchers, one in Japan and one in the U.S. Who work on cancer therapy? They're James James Allison and Tsuku Hanjo. Um, their discovery, they're, they're, they focus on cancer therapy by basically getting roadblocks out of the way of the part of the immune system that normally goes after cancer cells. Right. So that's um, you know obviously, and anything that uh, uh, drives cancer back is is going to be uh, a massive. Uh, and then there was um. The, the Peace Prize this year went to two, uh, Dennis McGuigge, I apologize, sir, uh, and Nadia Murad. Uh, she's, she's a Yazidi. I was looking her up. Um, who is, uh, made into a sex slave. Oh, and so she has tried to, she is, and, and got free and is, uh, trying to advocate, you know, the ways to end using sexual violence as a weapon of war. There you go. Wow. Which is, you know, obviously, one of the <laughs> one of the great traces of original sin in the human race. Yeah, the fact that it exists and has been used around the millennia. Um, so, so that's you know that's some interesting. Obviously, the Nobel prizes are you know among the most interesting news. There are no Nobel prizes in Earth science. Shed single tear, yeah. but uh, 
you know, there, there are various high level, uh, prizes, uh, in the earth sciences awarded in different countries, but there's, there's nothing at that level. Um, I don't know that a seismologist maybe has ever snuck in and won a physics prize or a, a geochemist has ever snuck in and won a chemistry prize. I mean, the chemistry prizes, I think, slew toward biochemistry anyway. Certainly yeah. the ones this year do. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, that's, those are the breaks. You go into geology, you get to play outside, you don't get a Nobel prize. Okay. <laughs> you know, a lot of us, that's a worthwhile trade off. But in other science news, you had something, uh, interesting that, uh, passed through your, uh, hands this, uh, this past week, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it ties in with um, your uh, membership in the uh, Catholic uh, Scientists, the Society of Catholic Scientists, a group that uh, interests me as well. Um, I was privileged to help uh, in the promotion uh, of uh, their latest announcement, which is simply a very nice and inspirational uh, round of applause that they give to the International Astronomical Union, where they they note that uh, the IAU, uh, in a vote announced early this week, um, uh, changed the name or recommended changing the name of the Hubble Law of Cosmology mm-hmm. to the Hubble-Lemaitre Law of Cosmology. Yeah. And... Um, that, and that's of interest. The Hubble law is not a small deal. <laughs> no, no, it's all about, uh, how, how our expanding universe, uh, behaves. And indeed, is based on the remarkable discovery that I think Lemaitre was key to, uh, that our universe is expanding. And it all traces back to his even more pioneering work, uh, to discover essentially or to posit the idea of, uh, the Big uh, Bang Theory. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lemaitre had the opportunity of being being there on the ground in the aftermath of Einstein's, you know, of general relativity being published and people starting to play with that mathematics and see what it actually led to. Right. And we're still, there was just this explosion that we're still unpacking in yeah. terms of potential insights. And Lemaitre's is, is one of those stories where somebody sees something and then a lot of it gets buried. So he's, you know, he talk, he's, he brings the idea of this primeval atom, which eventually gets picked back up again and turns into the Big Bang. Um, even, even the, the idea that he had that led to, or not, not necessarily led to, but so often in science, people do the same work again and then they look back and say, wait. <laughs> right. This guy did this 70 years there, ago. Right. There were connections here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, of course, uh, yeah, those connections par- perhaps were not as easily grasped uh, and understood back in the 1920s when uh, these discoveries uh, were were made. Uh, so uh, one can understand that the, the Hubble Law uh, only now is being uh, reviewed for a little bit of um, uh, enhancement and... Um, even today, uh, such a recommended change in the name of the law is not binding on scientists. So said the uh, uh, International Astronomical Union. I didn't. I didn't realize it's this. There's no. Sort of uh, needless. I mean, 
So you think of all of the all of the brouhaha over over Pluto being quote demoted to a yes. a dwarf planet, right? And, it, and no one, there is no mechanism for force. I mean, there is there is peer review. You could peer have an yeah. you could theoretically not and not theoretically. You can occasionally have an editor who is enough of a donkey <laughs> to force you to. Um, to force you to use, well, the IAU says officially that this is such, but the number of editors who actually, you know, wade into the line of fire and do that, because you're entitled to write the editor back something scathing and say, this is ridiculous and you are not going to force me to do this. Yeah. Scientists, for better and for worse, are very much like the proverbial cats that you heard. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> there is no party line that you can force people to cue to. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not how it works. Right. So I mean, so anyone could choose to use. I mean, anyone could have chosen to call it the Hubble Lemaitre Law twenty years ago. Then anyone can choose to just keep calling it the Hubble Law now. Right. And yet people still get uh, very irate about it. So there is a famous. Or it's not famous. It's one of those things that in a very narrow, very narrow, and I happen to be one of the people belong to this narrow population. So if there are any other people affiliated with mineralogy in some sense in the crowd, they will know what I talk about when I talk about the controversy over whether this particular mineral, calcium titanate, calcium titanate would be its chemical, a chemical description of it, mm. whether that should be called sphene or titanite. Oh, my. And that, oh my gosh, I have seen flame wars <laughs> on the Mineralogical Society of America mailing list. I mean, people got irate. It's just common enough of a mineral. It's an accessory mineral. It occurs in small quantities in a wide variety of rocks, especially rocks that had a little bit of uh, hot water in contact with them in one, for one reason or another. And, oh my gosh, <laughs> the venom. The venom. But yes. At least it's not a venom uh, through the channels of Twitter, huh? Uh, like right. uh, venom. Generally not. I, I, I'm not aware of their of a Twitter war. I bet there. I bet if you. I bet if you dug enough, you find yeah. it. Yeah. And 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 other. I mean, so you know the names of minerals. So there is an official. I mean, yeah. So there is an international mineralogical association. It does approve mineral names. Uh huh. But it don't. You can't. Force anyone to use the name? Yeah. The, uh, gosh, who, who is the official custodian of, of rock names? Gosh, I've been out of the field long enough. It's very sad. It's not that long. Uh, <laughs> I have not really been out of the field particularly in any particular length of time. Right. The ice and, uh, the nomenclature. I mean, rocks are even worse than minerals because minerals are at least clearly definable. Uh, relatively very, yeah, they're, they're very clearly definable. Rocks are not. I mean, there's right. no obvious criterion on how to classify an igneous rock. Um, so there's, there's a standard that was, you know, developed in the eighties to replace the jungle. Oh, it's, I mean, it's reprehensible. The, the immense variety of cockeyed, wacky names that you would use for random rocks. So, you know, reading some of the classical literature about Hawaii. Oh my gosh. Pickrite basalt of the mimosite type. And it's just, oh and that, that means almost as little to me as it means to you, dear listener. 
It was insane. <laughs> People, you could pick whatever, the presence of whatever mineral at whatever proportion, and you could choose your own, you know, and, and the, and the reality is you could still, you still can. Although at this point, an editor would say, no one has used that term since 1972 and probably would be a little bit more likely to make that stick. But right. you still, I mean, there's no, there's no police who will come to your lab and arrest you, for, you know, <laughs> for calling something a granodiorite when really on the QAF diagram, it's across the line into uh, tonalite. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no. <laughs> It <laughs> doesn't happen. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And but it sounds like uh, it's the kind of discussion that I wish was still going on in politics or going on more commonly, right. namely just some intelligent, uh, if uh, a bit uh, uh, fevered, uh, uh, but but well-intended uh, discussion of both sides of the issue. Right. Uh, I, and that's and what defining I think. terms. Yeah. What do you actually mean by this? Yes, and it's it's an educational process for both sides, unless it just becomes a matter of emotion, and I doubt that that would be the case among scientists. I don't. Well, I mean, uh, we're human. We have emotions. Science is a sociological process. There's no getting away from that. That's true. Um, but you know, we do have this internal critical apparatus. You know, that's the whole point of science is that we are critiquing one another's ideas. Yeah. We get excited when an idea solves a lot of problems and right. withstands a lot of criticism, but we get irate when someone throws something up against the wall and it looks like it's sloppy work and they didn't uh, allow themselves to check things. Right. And when yeah. it does slip through, then, you know, we recognize that it does a lot of damage. Yeah. And we take it as a cautionary tale. Well, that's right. And, um, and it's, uh, certainly something that's, um, uh, acceptable within, uh, Christian values, uh, the idea of righteous anger, uh, searching for the truth. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the a- anger either at the incompetence or the actual potentially ill will. Or at least lack of character. I suppose there's, you know, that's that's not quite the same thing. But yeah. right, and now, and of course, you know, bring up character. You know, it goes, you can bring us back to Lemaitre. Lemaitre <laughs> yeah. was almost not enough of a uh, publicist for his own ideas. Uh, clearly, yes, and that yeah, yeah the center, the uh, Society for uh, Catholic Scientists, the Society of Catholic Scientists, rightfully pointed that out. That that was one of the uh, problems back then, uh, back in the 20s, when uh, this uh, discussion of the uh, expansion of the universe was discussed, and uh, certainly in this um, uh, uh, release that they sent out, um, it was very good-natured and uh, uh, and very um, akin to our uh, theme in our own podcasts. Uh, what was really nice was that they saw this recognition of a Catholic priest uh, as an inspiration for our times when our times need desperately to be reminded of this connection or at least of the compatibility between lives of faith and the vocation of science. Mm-hmm. So uh, that uh, that hopefully uh, will uh, yield more uh, light than heat uh, in, the, in the world of uh, scientific discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it's, it's so fascinating looking back on that period of time. Like, you know, you can, you can sort of bookend 
Oh gosh, where would you start it? I'm not sure you'd start that sort of early 20th century sort of golden era, you know, that ends, you know, around the, I mean, really it kind of ends at the Second Vatican Council, which is in, in one sense the crowning moment of it and also mm-hmm. the moment that was seized upon and used for completely foolish negative purposes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think of, gosh, name not coming. The TV, uh, the bishop who had his TV program. Bishop Sheen? Sheen, yeah, Fulton yeah. Sheen. Fulton Sheen is sort of bringing up the rear of that sort of, you know, golden age of uh, Catholic intellectual. I'm not sure where in the 19th century you would, would draw the beginning. I mean, certainly, you know, you might say Chesterton was toward the beginning. Yes. I have roots deeper than him. But, you know, between Chesterton and Fulton Sheen, and of course, including prominently including not quite Catholic C.S. Lewis. Uh huh. Um, and then you know there was there was a, there was a kind of golden age, and certainly Lemaitre would be in the heart of that. Um, a number of other people, huh, um, who, who who were you know at a point where you know the um, really I mean it helped obviously the the advent of the new um, physics. Gave it an impetus, by no means the only one or the most prominent one, but it really, you know, that, that whole 19th century paradigm of, you know, we live in this mechanistic universe and there's no, you know, it's ridiculous to believe in spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And the advent of quantum physics that, you know, throws that right out because, you know, the world is, the universe is no longer this closed system where there's, you know, no way that you could, you could allow something in because you'd be able to measure it. Well, as a matter of fact, you can't. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we've talked about, we've talked about that a number of times. Yes, that's right. But that, yeah. uh, yeah, Lemaitre would be, would, would, would have been in that such a loss of confidence after the sixties for such poor, for, for such a complete lack of reason. And I have always thought that what it, what's, you know, people blame the Second Vatican Council, you know, there, there's a certain stripe of people who blames the Second Vatican Council for being too liberal. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's one of those, I think the confounding factor is television. Indeed. That, you know, that media expanded and went off in this new direction. And then, and there was just the sort of ticking time bomb of, um, I mean, it's, it's really just about selling the lifestyle of secularism. Yes. It's, it's selling a lifestyle. It's not selling ideas. The ideas are terrible, but uh-huh. yeah. But on the other hand, as, as of course Chesterton, you know, fairly famously noted, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. Yes, yes. And another nice uh, quote that I can't remember exactly, but uh, uh, I think he said it's 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 impossible to talk about Catholicism without talking about everything. Um, right. You know, it, uh, it Catholicism. Really does properly uh, uh, influence our view of everything, and um, and so it's it's right and just for it to be influencing our uh, discussions in science and and society, secular society, and all of that. Uh, but now secular society has to uh, rediscover the importance of civil discussion and um, pursuing pursuing truth. Uh, for the sake of enlightenment and not of uh, enraging each other and engaging each other in uh, social media fights. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that kind of brings us back to our, you know, our at least our originally intended theme of All Saints Day. Ah, yes. Uh, transcending those, uh, transcending those tweets and everything with a little bit of, uh, heavenly wisdom, proven heavenly wisdom and insight from the past. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, uh, the, the worthiness of thinking about some, uh, saints, uh, that would be sources of inspiration for us in talking about science. And you had a couple of good ideas. A couple. And in fact, I would even throw the additional name of Augustine out there to start with. Oh, because Augustine was not just a theologian, but, you know, he certainly sewed together a lot of and, and it had some peculiarly interesting insights, you know, like the, the nature of time as a creature. It's a creation. And that's a very modern thought that you know the time you can't talk about what happened before the the big bang or at least it's probably not very sensible because time was probably created at that point mm. there's a zero point that you cannot go back beyond or at least that's right. a potential interpretation of what we've what we've encountered right and and augustine could come to that conclusion based on ancient philosophy and, you know, and adding the, the, the very Jewish idea of creation. There is a, a, fi- a finite history of the world and there's a creation. Yeah. And so if we, if we live in a universe that actually is finite, that originated in a primeval atom, <laughs> so to speak, right. um, that, that would come, that comes along for the ride. And, and that, that, and that fundamental insight seems still to be valid. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, but that's good to, to, uh, uh, lay that, uh, bedrock of, uh, Augustinian wisdom. Uh, who are the, um, uh, other saints that, uh, are, uh, honored for their impact in more specific ways? Well, there are, I mean, dozens of them, which, you know, we're, we're only going to discuss a somewhat, uh, eclectically selected. <laughs> <laughs> small subset of them. You brought up Saint Isidore, the the, the uh, glorious and overlooked uh, Saint Isidore of the seventh century. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. The I, aptly, uh, aptly named like last last scholar of the ancient world, basically. Right, and uh, very much a scholar of the ancient world. Uh, I was uh, uh, praying to him this past week when my laptop. Went on the fritz and the, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my wonderful local computer geek, uh, uh, miracle worker, um, uh, was, uh, trying to save everything that I was afraid I had lost on my hard drive. And, uh, I must say that those prayers to St. Isidore seemed to, to work. So, uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah. He was, he was, uh, he was the patron saint of the, uh, or he is, or let's say more properly, He's been recommended by uh, St. Pope John Paul II as the patron saint of the Internet. I don't think the Vatican has made it official yet, but, yeah, you, as you say, uh, St. Isidore, he was born around uh, 500 uh, A.D., and he was like the original encyclopedist. He, uh, he wrote... Yeah. Yeah, I think, he's, I think he's actually seventh century. I think he's actually in the six hundreds. Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. Oh, well, maybe somewhere, somewhere around there. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he had compiled, or his goal was to compile just about all of the knowledge that had been garnered up until that time. What a wonderful uh, <laughs> yes. goal, Something huh? you could do Maybe? with that. Right? You, yeah. could, you could at least somewhat feasibly uh, attempt to do at, at that point in history. It's yeah. fascinating to look at. Yeah. Fascinating to think about. But yeah, this is a great, you know, he's, he's certainly the great, yeah, like, as you say, the, um, perhaps the first encyclopedist, um, although there are, you know, potentially other people who would, um, and certainly I think, you know, he'd be the, the great Western encyclopedist. I think there are other people in, say, the Chinese tradition. Oh, indeed. Uh huh. Who, who attempted something similar in their own, um, in their own culture. But yeah. 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 And, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of him, like, even less about the internet and more about, you know, that, uh, that hallowed rack of, uh, paper encyclopedias that some, uh, that some college student, uh, sold my parents probably back in the mid eighties. Ah, right. <laughs> right. My father was uh, a child and, you know, just wading into this, you know, reservoir of human knowledge and just the fascination of that. My father was a, a um, uh, he was on the uh, management staff at a, a publishing house that produced um, not the Britannica, but the, some uh, slightly second tier encyclopedias, uh, the Americana, and there was um, a, uh, a, a an encyclopedia of science that we had on our shelves oh. probably at home. Yeah. And so I used to love per- perusing those. And I'm sorry that the kids today don't get a chance to actually see that collection of knowledge on their own uh, household uh, uh, bookshelves. Of course, it's exciting to have it available on Internet. But uh, that that idea of collecting all all wisdom and valuing it uh, in one's home is a beautiful idea. Or at least... Or at least giving, you know, the sort of gateway to it. Yes, exactly. Okay, so here is your, here is your write-up about him. Yeah, he was born in, well, okay, he, he lived to be legendarily old, apparently. Oh, yeah? Okay, if the know. dates that we have for him are to be believed, he lived to be a hundred. Ah. So he did, he did live into the seventh century. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, he straddled the sixth and seventh centuries, which of course is, you know, the aftermath of, the collapse of, you know, the Western Empire into separate kingdoms. So he would, he, he lived in the Visigothic kingdom in, uh, of course, what's now Spain. Um, he's called Isidore of Seville. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, that, that, that collection of knowledge stood for a long time as kind of the best recognized in the West. Yeah. Yeah, that, that whole paradigm that uh, that uh, brother guy talked about last time that you know for for a thousand years people lived in that paradigm of well this is what the ancient world had to say about it so who are we to question it <laughs> yes yes and our podcast uh, series is all about valuing all of that collected wisdom but also using it as a launch pad for new wisdom and somehow finding a, a beautiful uh, Third way, a medium, uh, middle ground, huh? Between uh, valuing the old and the new, respecting, yeah, respecting what's come before and taking it seriously, while at the same time recognizing there's, you know, further you could go. And of course, the people who really started that sense of, you know, being able to go further beyond it were the the great uh, 13th century figures ah. in the West who who brought in, you know, so Aristotle comes back from the Muslim world 
and the Muslim commentators who've, who've built upon him in different ways. And then, you know, the, the figures like Albert the Great and Thomas Aquinas and even, um, well, and, and even the, the perhaps more controversial figures like Occam and, uh, the other guy who's, again, the name is escaping me, but that's, um, Saint, um, He's not necessarily a saint. He's sort of in between. He's not. He's not as skeptical as Occam. Sometimes he gets tarred with the same brush as Occam. Oh. But you know, the the the, the astute listener probably re- remembers at, at the moment. I do not. But uh, yeah, those those great systematists and synthesizers, you know, willing to critique Aristotle yeah. and come up with new ideas, and then that you know would lead us further into figures like Roger Bacon. Or yeah. for that matter, uh, I don't know that he's a, I don't believe he's a saint, but uh, he's, he's a famous scholar of the era, William of Auvergne, who did, actually did some, uh, speculations about optics. Really? That are, that are surprisingly prescient. Ah. So that, yeah, there, there is a, a 13th and 14th century sort of, you know, bubble of, you could call it pre-scientific, um, speculation. Right. And, you know, it started with Aristotle, but people recognized that Aristotle had problems. There, there was, there were aspects of the ideas that really didn't work. And of course, the ancient world, you know, the, the ancient Christian world had gone off after Plato, which of course, Plato's a, a very charismatic and influential figure for good reasons too. Um, but that, but Plato didn't answer many of the questions that Aristotle attempted to answer. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and people people began to to move beyond that, and to and of course, and of course, you could feed the the medieval synthesis was a synthesis of you know ancient philosophy and Christianity, and Augustine actually paved the way, and a lot of the Platonism that made it into the medieval synthesis came b- via Augustine. Ah. So that you know, say. Say Thomas Aquinas will, you know, routinely cite Augustine as his, as his source for something, right. but it'll be in dialogue with, well, and it'll be in dialogue with, say, Averroes or Avicenna as the transmitter of Aristotle as much as it is directly Aristotle. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a real role for um, uh, transmitting uh, the uh, knowledge and uh, building upon it. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's science. I mean, that's how science works, and yeah. it was already being done. And, and it's by these people who we now, you know, the the skeptical modern has either completely forgotten about them, much more than likely, or you know, ridicules them based on a very small amount of or a complete lack of familiarity with what they actually did and how they actually reasoned. Yeah. Even though in reality, that's 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 in there. That's at the fundaments of you know, at the foundations of what we actually do in the modern world, the critiquing and seeing if ideas stand up to criticism and actually make sense. Right. Right. And of course, um, uh, the critiquing is also, uh, very, uh, important in the process of canonizing saints. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, we, yeah, uh, that, that modern the- process of, of not just taking saints by popular acclaim, but actually, you know, appointing that devil's advocate, to, you know, investigate their writings and investigate, you know, the recordings of their life, um, 
to see if that's if they're they're really someone we want to promote to the altars and and provide to the faithful as venerable so and so. Yes. Yeah. Well, with uh, with a tribute to All Saints Day and to uh, these saints and aspiring saints, etc., I might suggest um, ending our episode around this point, uh, but do not before promising that uh, you've inspired me to. Um, I'm, I'm going to uh, start the uh, paperwork today that will eventually, hopefully, lead to your being uh, canonized as the patron saint of podcasting. <laughs> Good heavens. <laughs> I, I have a lot of work to do. It has uh, to be. God has, has a lot of work to do in me, yes. 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 Oh, heavens. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, any, any closing thoughts on uh, saints or sinners or, or otherwise? Oh, I mean, you know, we've, uh, you have to plug Nicholas Steno. Um, oh, indeed, course, yeah. We talked about the nature, and of course there's the priest Gregor Mendel, who is uh, yeah, fundamental yeah. emperor. Gregor Mendel is another person who did this work in genetics and then, you know, got roundly forgotten and then, and then rediscovered. <clears throat> there's, there's a number of priests who, who were not, not broadly listened to until, you know, someone, someone else had independently, you know, done what they had done and then realized, wait, wait, <laughs> what is this I'm reading in this mu- dusty old uh, library? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's important not to have that forgotten. No, it's important indeed. to dig up those dusty works and uh, appreciate them. Yeah. Uh, well, may uh, may our uh, listeners uh, uh, appreciate the discussions like this, and we invite them to learn more about the the people that uh, we've been discussing and the Nobel Prize winners, as well as the uh, uh, saints up in heaven. Uh, yeah. Shall we? Shall we uh, just plan ahead for our next episode and uh, bid our listeners uh, a fond adieu for now? Yep, we're we're looking forward to doing some interviews. I actually have some um, some friends and former professors of mine that I'm hoping to talk to in the near future. Uh, Bill has some contacts at Notre Dame and elsewhere that we're also hoping to talk to. Yeah, <clears throat> so we're we're getting excited about it. We don't know exactly uh, what order it's all going to happen in, but uh, we're really, we're really looking forward to it. And I'd also like to renew the call that I made earlier uh, this week to uh, to give us feedback. Those of you yeah. who are listening, we really appreciate it, and we want to know what you what's been working for you, what you would rather us see more of, do more of, what you'd rather see us or hear us do less of. Um, anything about uh, other aspects of the podcast, uh, the audio, or or anything else you'd like to see changed. Yeah. So you could get on our website again. It's tssm.podbean com, and uh, there's a link to email me in the sidebar. There's also a link to our Facebook page where you're free to message us or uh, leave a comment on the page and we really, really would appreciate your feedback. Yes. We really want this to be a community of discussion. Yeah. That's what we're working toward. So. Yeah. Well, thanks as always, Paul. Good to talk with you. Yep. Great to talk to you, Bill. Okay. Take care.